Yes. If you're like me, then you're no doubt a fan of this podcast, The Pope on Film. I mean, who is it? Really? But only true hardcore would know two things about us, two things about America's uh, favorite podcast, favorite podcasters, Bunny and Seed. First and foremost, the first undeniable and totally really real fact about you, Bunny, Yes. is the fact that when you're not doing this podcast, you run and operate your own unique Scared Straight program. So so tell our listeners, uh, our new listeners who, who don't know this about you, tell us more about your very unique Scared Straight program. Um, well, it is for trans kids who are making some serious serious mistakes they're trying okay but uh they're going down some wrong roads so we sit them down and we play some e-entertainment and we show them some of the just tragic tragic fashion flaws of some of the celebrities out there. Yeah. And this this makes them pay attention and starts making them color coordinate better. Gotcha. Uh-huh. You know what pisses me off about Donald Trump is that in my day, if you made a deal with the devil, you just needed to know how to play an instrument. Uh-huh. Back in my if you made a deal with the devil, you were either a great fiddle player or uh, a great guitarist. Ralph Macchio, anyway. Um, the second fact that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do is I like to get a story from the history books that maybe people don't know too well and reword it via my own unique storytelling style. So that's what this is, another educationally uneducational installment of Steve's Historic Approximations! Dun, 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 dun. Or shap, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name shap. It's blunt, it's direct, it's fun, and it's to the point. Essentially, it's the Jennifer Lawrence of podcast segments. And I wrote yes. that joke. And then I thought about it. Um, I'm worried about Jennifer Lawrence because I looked her up on Wikipedia and it's like 2012, she was in three movies. 2013, she was in three movies. 2014, she was in three movies. 2015, she was in four movies. 2015, she was in three movies. 2016, she was in three movies. 2017, she was in two movies. 2018, she was in one movie 2019 the last thing that she did that came out was that last shitty fucking x-men film and now she's just gone. you remember when you see jennifer lawrence everywhere all the time 
Oh, like once yeah, forever? But, like what happened to Florence? But give her a break. The last She's major tired. Yes. <laughs> The last major thing that she was in was the 2018 Russian film. may not only know that, but she knew. But uh, back in the day, she was everywhere. And now you just don't see her. And I'm just worried about her. If you're listening, Jennifer Lawrence, which you probably are, this is America's favorite podcast. I, I hope you're doing okay, Jennifer Lawrence, is all I wanted to say. You yes. know? Just worried about her. Yes. Worried. Anywho. This week on the old Shappity Shap Shap, we will be discussing the sad life and tragic death of one singularly, uh, one of the most recognizable child actors in all of, in all of Hollywood, uh, Bonnie. Yes. Starting, starting with One Terrible Day in 1922 and ending with Dancing Romeo, in 1944, Hal Roach and Roach Studios made a whopping 220 gang short. That's a ton of fucking our gang As well as one feature film. I didn't know about this. I knew there were a lot of our gang movies out there, but they made a film in 1938 called General Spanky. And it was such a box office that uh, eventually led, that's what led to uh, Hal Roach selling the rights to our gang, to MGM. Still, 122 short films and one live action feature film in 22 years. That's quite an impressive stat right there. The our gang was freaking huge. I know our because when I was growing up, this was syndicated, and I, you'd see our gang at like 6 a.m. on channel yes. 84. You know? So, uh, you'd wind up fact, watching it before school and shit. Yeah. Uh, fun fact I always wondered about the shorts were called our gang, but eventually the shorts were syndicated on TV, and that's when. It, to 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 snazz it up, I guess they adopted the title of the Little Rascals for the syndicated television show. Yeah. So it's our gang is the name of the shorts, but nowadays people probably know them as the Little Rascals. But that's something that was tacked on for TV. Spanky, the party leader was played by George McFarland, who was discovered at the age of three and continued to do them until 1942 when he was 14. Motherfucker was a teenager and still doing our gang shorts. Um, He lived a long and prosperous life and went through many careers until eventually launching the Nostalgia Channel a TV channel in the 80s, which was later turned into Good Life TV in the 90s, and then became the America One Network in the 2000s, before finally becoming the U2 America Network, which apparently, according to the internet, has TV in Arizona, New York, and Colorado. So Spain killed dead, but he helped start a TV station, which is still out there. Apparently, you can get the the U2 American Roku. So uh, good for good for Spanky, I guess. You know, because yeah. he's still out there. Yeah, so that's Spanky. Now on 
Buckwheat. Uh, originally, Buckwheat was a girl. And they had a girl dressed up in like a mammy character. But after a, a number of years, they decided to replace Buckwheat with a boy. Fun fact, our gang was one of the first times in the history of Hollywood where black and white characters were seen as equals. Yes. Because instead of saying, oh, well, these black kids can't be in here, only white kids, this and that, Hal Roach's idea was like, kids aren't racist. If these kids live in the same neighborhood, they're going to play, and it doesn't matter. And so all, all of the kids in our gang were equal. And even though actor Billy Thomas Jr. was the one who played Buckwheat from 1934 to 1944, <coughs> black actor Ernie Morrison, who was one of the our gang kids in the background, he didn't have a big part, but he was in the our gang films, Black actor Ernie Morrison was one of the was the first African American actor to ever be signed to a long term contract in the entire history of Hollywood. Really, and that's uh, pretty. So Buckwheat, aka Billy Thomas Jr., he won a contest to be in the R Gang films, and after being in the R Gang films, he joined the army. He was a decorated soldier, and then later in his life, he returned to Hollywood, but as a lab technician with Technicolor. Wow! So the so the kid who played Buckwheat helped bring Technicolor to the world, and that's pretty impressive. Now on yes. to our main story, Carl Dean Schweitzer. Switzer? Yes. A.K.A. Alfalfa. I was happy to, to learn that even though he grew up to be a teenager and a 20-something and a 30-something individual, even though he moved on from our gang and was in a number of big-time movies, everyone just called him Alfalfa. Yes. I was hear that that through the rest of his life people were just calling him alfalfa because i was having a hard time writing his name carl switzer over and over again and then it's like oh wait everyone just called him alfalfa in real life thank fucking god so i'm just calling him alfalfa for this entire thing <laughs> and that's just so much easier for him yeah right now so, uh, Carl Dean Switzer, a.k.a. Alfalfa. Alfalfa played a Hebrew slave in Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments. Here's another yes. one. Alfalfa takes Donna Reed out on a date to the school dance in the beginning of It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Uh-huh. So, so, like, uh, uh, Spanky left Hollywood. He went to do this and he became successful and Buckwheat became an armed, decorated army veteran and then worked with the Technicolor Corporation. But Alfalfa kept acting. Because yes. even when he was like a teen and something person, he still had, he looked exactly like Alfalfa and he was just typecast. Uh, what's the name of that? What's the name of that actor who, who was a nerd and everything? He was the nerd. He was Eugene in Greece. And, like, for decades, you'd see this one character actor play a nerd in everything. Yeah. Well, I know the type of guy you're talking about. 
Yeah, so that was Alfalfa in like the 40s and 50s. Yeah. He still had a career uh, outside of our gang films. He even co-starred in a Bowery Boys movie. Specifically, 1956's Dig That Uranium. And then I went on a side tangent. Did you know they made 48 goddamn Bowery Boys movies? That's insane! But if you think about it, the Bowery Boys is a natural progression from the Little Rascals. Yeah, yeah. So they so they brought Alfalfa from the art gang and they put in some uh, Bowery Boys movies. Anywho, as as well as having a semi-legitimate acting career after childhood, he was also a hunting dog breeder and hunting dog trainer. And in the 50s, some of the most famous Hollywood stars, Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, Roy Rogers, would go to Alfalfa because of his hunting dog experience. <laughs> That's insane. So uh, if you... It, a lot of people apparently have gone to visit Alfalfa's gravestone and seen that it has a dog on it and have been really confused. <laughs> and now, if you hear this podcast and go and visit Alfalfa's grave, that will make sense. Yes, so, yes it will. Another public service. Yeah. So it would seem like everything's hunky-dory for our boy Alfalfa, and it was for a while. So here's the main story. So Alfalfa meets a young woman. She's an heiress to some grain elevator empire. Okay. It's 1954. They hit it off, and they married after only three months of dating. Cut to, it's 1956, the acting gigs aren't coming too quick for our boy Alfalfa, and he develops a drinking problem. He's drinking a lot. There's also rumors that he had a drug problem, and rumors, however unbelievable, that he owed money to the mafia. But I'm not touching any of that, because it's just rumors. I'm sticking with what we know. He's got a drinking problem, he's running out of money, and also his wife is pregnant. So his mother-in-law gifts them a farm in Kansas, and they move to Kansas, they have their kid, and in 1957, they're done, so they get divorced. That brings us to the sad, strange death of Carl Alfalfa Schweitzer at age 31. His death, or was he murdered? Give me some dramatic music, buddy. Nice. Very nice. Okay. So Alfalfa, now divorced, moves, moves back to California, gets a small apartment on Santa Monica Boulevard. The acting gigs are scarce. He did have a memorable small part in the Sidney Poitier film, The Defiant Ones. Motherfucker had a career. <laughs> Alfalfa was in the goddamn Defiant one, so uh, you know, good for him. But yes. the acting gigs were few and far between. So he primarily uh, did bartending and uh, his dog business, and he would. He was also a hunting guide, so we would take people out hunting. So Alfalfa was vague acquaintances with this guy. His name was Moses 
stilts. Z stilts. But everybody called him Bud, so Bud Stilts. Bud was the official bodyguard for Ray Crash Corrigan. So this is important to the story. This is really important to the story. So Ray Crash Corrigan hires Bud Stilts to be his bodyguard. They get really close and they're really friendly. And Ray Crash Corrigan is like, hey, Bud, you're a member of the family. Come on over. Spend time with my wife and kids. We're working together now. And Ray Crash Corrigan starts a movie studio and he calls it like Corriganville or Corrigan Town or Corrigan Studios, whatever. Okay. Uh, like on family ranch in once upon a time dot 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 in yeah. Hollywood Ray Crash opened up uh, Corriganville and it's a movie studio and he's running it with Bud and then eventually Bud becomes such a member of the family that he falls in love with the wife and the wife and Bud kick Ray Crash Corrigan out of the family okay so Bud soul crashes wife away from him and Bud moves in with Ray Crash Corrigan's family. So Bud Stilts with a Z, real douchebag. Yes. Okay? Well, Alfalfa was uh, hired to lend some, I don't know, rich hoity-toity individuals on a hunting trip to Mount Shasta. And he was out of hunting dogs, and he knew that Bud Stilts with a Z had a hunting dog. So uh, Alfalfa asks, hey, Bud, can I borrow your hunting dog for this hunting trip? Bud says yes. And so Alfalfa takes these people on a hunting trip, and he's got Bud's dog. And at some point in time during the hunting trip, the dog runs off. Alfalfa is struggling, trying to look for the dog. It's not his dog, it's Bud's dog. And eventually, he finds a local rancher in Mount Shasta, and the rancher's like, oh, I've got your dog, sure, and I'll be glad to give it back to you for $50. Okay. So, well, Falfa goes to Bud and says, hey, um, your dog ran off. I found the guy who, who found your dog, but he wants $50, so give me $50. And Bud says, um, fuck no alfalfa, you lost my fucking dog, you paid the fucking $50. Yeah. And Alpha's pissed off, but he pays the $50, he gets the dog back, he gives the dog back to Bud Stilts, and Bud says, uh, thanks, now fuck off. So a few days later, Alfalfa is at a bar and he's drinking with a buddy and he gets pissed and he's drunk and he's like, that son of a bitch, bud, that son of a bitch. I borrow his dog and his dog runs off. His dog takes off. I, you know, I, this dog was supposed to help me, but his dog ran off. That's not my fault. It's not my fault. The goddamn dog ran away. That's Bud's fault. It's Bud's goddamn dog that ran off. And now I have to pay 50 bucks because his dog ran off. It's not my fault. The dog ran off. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to have a few more shots. I'm going to go down to Bud's fucking place and I'm going to make him give me that $50. Even if I have to beat it out of him, I'm going to get my $50 back. So, a drunk alfalfa and his friend goes to Bud's house. Bud would later claim that alfalfa had a knife 
and was violent and attacked him. And sure, I shot alfalfa in the torso and he died, but it was self-defense. So alfalfa's dead, shotgun blasts to the abdomen, and a jury believes Bud's story of an enraged, drunken alfalfa, because everyone can believe. I think we've all had nightmares of an enraged, drunken alfalfa, right? Yes. Yes. Baby. There's a spider in your mouth? No, a spot. Okay, go show mom. She said that she can't see it. Okay, well, I can't see it either. I'll try and see it during the break, okay? I'm almost done with Act 2, to be clear. Uh, dude, I was on a roll, and then she stopped me to see... Uh, okay, <laughs> enraged alfalfa. And in 1959, the murder of alfalfa was ruled as self-defense. A jury believed Bud's story. Yes. It was and he was cleared from the murder of Alfalfa. Um, sadly, the sad part is Alfalfa died the same day as Cecil B. DeMille. Oh! That's gotta suck. So his death got, like, no press. Just like when Farrah Fawcett died and everyone's like, yeah. oh, lost a treasure. And then, like, uh, two hours later, Michael Jackson died and people said, oh, we lost a bigger treasure. Get the fuck out of here, corpse of Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> so that would have been the end of Alfalfa's story. Were it not for a man named Tom. Okay, so Ray Crash Corrigan was a nice dude. He was a yeah. nice guy. He was friendly. Everybody liked him. He had. And, and I'm sorry, I've always heard that that Alfalfa was really kind of a douchebag. Yeah, he he would do pranks. He had a he had a hard time. He could barely read, and he would have someone read the script for him, and he would treat yeah. people like shit. No, he, and then he had a drinking problem, maybe a drug problem. Like, yeah, he was a douchebag, but uh, yeah. it, like the fact that anyone would like, oh, I had to murder Alfalfa. Like, that's some weird shit. <laughs> yes, you know, you don't understand. I was forced to kill Alfalfa in self-defense. Like. <laughs> Alfalfa! Alfalfa! He was out of control! Like, like, what the fuck are you saying? You know? So, so Ray Crash Corrigan was a nice guy, and uh, he had uh, a wife and kids, and a real friendly life. And then the wife fell in love with Bud, who was a douchebag, and the kids hated him. One of those kids was named Tom, Tommy Corrigan. And he was the son of Crash Corrigan and fucking hated his new piece of shit stepdad. Yeah, okay. Time of the murder, Tommy Corrigan was 14 years old. He was there when Alfalfa was killed and never spoke to anyone the events of that night until... For some fucking reason, 2001. Okay. 
why he waited this long to tell this, I have no fucking idea. But at the time, Tom Corrigan was 56 years old, and he was the successful owner of a popular San Fernando Valley restaurant. And it was called like Corrigan's Place. And it was like this restaurant and everybody loved it and everyone would go to Corrigan Place and they were interviewing him one day for a story and he finally just like, I've never told anyone this story and told the truth about what happened to Alfalfa. And according to Tom Corrigan, Alfalfa never attacked Bud and like, oh, uh, Alfalfa attacked me with a knife. Apparently, like, like all he had was like a pocket knife. He had like a army knife and he never yeah. took it out of his pocket. And yeah, it wasn't self-defense. Tom Corrigan in 2001 was quoted as saying it was more like a murder. Oh, My oh okay. Wait, 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 wait. murdered. Okay, like I just got stuck at this whole interview portion. So the guy owns a restaurant, some local paper or something like that, right? Is yeah. coming yeah. is coming to interview him, and they're, they're kind of like, so Tom, why so, do you think people like your double broiled prime rib so much? And he's like, oh, it's so wonderful. I know who killed Alfalfa. My dad fun. taught it. To me. <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful recipe. My dad taught it to me. Oh, your dad, Bud Stilts? No. My real dad. I've never told anyone this story before. <laughs> yeah. That's basically how it happened. And this, like, local reporter interviewing the successful owner of a restaurant is suddenly like, oh, okay. But yeah, yeah he and, finally and let like, it slip. Like, yeah, and then the next question is kind of like, um, uh, so how did you come up with the blooming onion? <laughs> I came up with it the day my stepfather murdered alfalfa. <laughs> yeah. So the police gets wind of this story and they interview Tom Corrigan and they say will you testify to this in court and Tom says yes but he's never called to testify I can only assume because the I don't know San Fernando Police Department is like should we open a 40 year old case about the murder of alfalfa. Alfalfa died in 1953. Bud Stilts died in 1983. What are the benefits of us opening up this case? Fuck it. We're not opening back the alfalfa case. Yeah. But they never, they never opened the case. They never reopened the case. They never, uh, you know, had Tom Corrigan testify. And, and yeah, alfalfa, actor, dog trainer, he acted with Charlton Heston. He acted with Jimmy Stewart. He acted with Sidney Poitier. And he was brutally murdered over $50 and a dog. Yes. This is the weirdest story. And I know I say this all the time during this segment, but I'm shocked that more people don't know the, the, this story. The strange, and bizarre murder. let's not forget, none of us would know the Barber of Seville if it wasn't for Alfalfa. Oh, oh, hell yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. so like, 
we we learned from alfalfa we grew with alfalfa we died with alfalfa yeah 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 fair mm-hmm. well that's it for steve's historic approximations this week uh be sure and join us next week for more uh, uh educationally uneducational fun with steve's historic approximations uh,